All right, this morning we'll be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Good morning, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that uh, stress ball experiment. Just want to tell you one thing before we kind of get into John chapter 1 and life, which we're starting to study today. Uh, this morning, I uh, rode on the party bus uh, to get here. And if you don't know about it, uh, right outside the door is a newcomer's welcome table. They can give you all the information. But it was a really great experience. So you park in the far lot. The bus will pick you up at your car. They'll greet you with coffee, donuts, a breakfast burrito, an egg McMuffin, music. Drivers are great, really good. We asked for great drivers, and we had great drivers with, I mean, not only can they keep it on the road, but their personality is pretty good too. And so we actually overshot. We overshot a little bit because we had some people saying, well, is there any way we can just like stream the service onto the bus, stay on the bus, and just kind of do the, do the loop? But wonderful time. I had an awesome time. I rode it for uh, half an hour because it runs for a long time. And so I was thinking about staying on the bus too. I wonder if we could like, feed from the bus to here on the screen, but that didn't work. So you want to check that out. So that's just that. All right. So John chapter 1, we're starting a series on life. All right, listen. We're all here, you know, pretty good number of people in here. We all, like some of us are like all about Jesus and He's God in the Bible, and others are like, no, Jesus, no, God, no. So we're, we're all coming from different places. I just want to say one thing. Uh, this morning, the way John starts off, Ryan just read this, right? The way this whole thing's, it's very philosophical, okay? So we're going to do a little, we're going to do some practical stuff, but, you know, we're going to do some deeper philosophical things, kind of to balance out all the frivolity with the stress balls, right? So, but just, I want to prepare you, because some people are like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for math this morning. So, you know what I'm saying? You know, I didn't know there was math involved. It was one of those, I didn't know the philosophy was going to be involved. So we're going to talk about, because actually, to answer this question, everybody, about life, it's going to take a little bit of work. I mean, we have to go deep. It's a big question. Am I making sense? It's a big question. It's not like I can say, oh man, you really want to live? Then... Boom, do X, and whammo, be happy. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So John starts off by going really deep with just like this million-dollar question. He talks about this thing called logos. So we're going to get into that in just a second. Let me say this in the beginning. First Sunday in the year, a lot of New Year's resolutions, 
about half of us, from what my understanding is, the research I've done, make New Year's resolutions. And here's what I found out about the half of us. So half of us that make it, what tends to be on that list is like three things. Three things generally tend to be way at the top of the list. I want to lose weight, and I want to lose weight now. Okay. Number two, I want to get out of debt. And boy, I'd like to get out of debt like, right now. Number three, here's the number one thing. seems to be on every single list. I want to start living. Now, why is that interesting other than the fact we're talking about life today? Here's why it's so interesting that so many people are saying, I really want to start living. Our standard for life, for living, is really great. No matter where you are right now and what's going on in your life, you know, financially and X, Y, and Z, our standard for living on average is so much higher than what it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. However, check this out satisfaction in life is going this way. Standard of living going this way, satisfaction going this way. What does that tell us? So now we think, what does that tell us? That tells us this, that we can't ignore our spirits. We can't say, okay, well, let me just load up on success or things or travel or pleasure or whatever and ignore my spirit and think that I'm going to be satisfied with life. Think that I'm going to be really, truly alive because the, it seems to be from studies that people who have so much of what this world has to offer are saying, I'm the most dissatisfied with my life. So that's where this comes in. So in the beginning right here, we see that John tells us that there is a meaning and a purpose to life. John chapter 20, verse number 31, has a very important verse. I put it on your outline. It's probably behind me as well back here, but it's on your outline also. Very clear purpose to this book that we're going to study for the next seven weeks. Very clear purpose. Matter of fact, some people say the book of John, the gospel of John, has the clearest purpose of any book that you find in the Bible. John 20, 31 tells us, he says, why did I write the book? I'm going to tell you exactly why I wrote the book. He says, but these are written. Here's why I wrote. That you may believe, very important word, used more than 100 times in the book, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? You may have life. So what is he telling us? Is right off the get-go, I want to tell you, the reason I have written the book of John, the reason we have it, is so that all of us might experience spiritual life, because that's what the word life means. That we might come alive in our spirits, that we can ignore our spirits and think that we are going to really live. This is why it was written. Now, I'd like us just to go through some of these very important words that we find here at the beginning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Ask God to guide our journey, okay? Lord, be with us. Help us. Big, big subject today. How can we truly live? Lord, uh, it's something that is on most of our minds. It is a very important topic. We want to truly live. We're tired of the daily grind. We're done all, we're busy, busy, busy. We're working, we're doing so much and we have so much and yet we're staring at ourselves in the mirror, Father, and we're saying, why aren't I really living? So God, guide our journey. We want to know how we can truly come alive spiritually. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, here's the philosophy. He says in the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word that is used there for word is logos, right? And what that means is, it says right off the bat, the word logos means, is there meaning, is there purpose to life? Does life have meaning? Is life... So what it says in the beginning is, in the beginning, I need you to know that there's a meaning and there's a purpose to life. 
The schools of philosophy, when these words were written, the schools of philosophy had given up on the idea that there was meaning and purpose to life. What they had decided years before of this is they said, you know what? We've debated it. We've discussed it. We've thought about it. And we've come to this that we can't find any consensus. We don't believe there's a logos to life. There's, life does not have meaning. It does not have purpose. So one of the major schools of philosophy was the Epicureans. And the Epicureans said this. They said, there is no meaning to life. There's no logos. So here's the only thing that a person can do. They can live for pleasure. Whatever makes you feel good, you should do it. Whatever makes you... So live for pleasure for all you have. Another school of philosophy said this, the Stoics. They said, yes, we agree. There is no meaning. There's no purpose of life. But you just can't live for yourself because if you did that, if you live for pleasure, the whole world would be just a terrible place to live. People would just be after each other all the time. There wouldn't be order. It would be total chaos. They said, what you should do is instead pretend that there is a logos. Pretend that there's meaning to life and live a good, moral, strong life, a generous life. Be concerned about others and help others. But you should pretend to do it. And in that atmosphere... These words in John chapter 1 were written, there is meaning, there is purpose to life. Now, we all know this, if we've studied anything about philosophy, that if there's not a God, then there's not a meaning. And so what John says right up front, there is a God, there is a logos, there is meaning, and we find out later on, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the creator of life. He's the creator of the universe, we're told. And he's the creator of life, and he can create life spiritual life in us and this is where john begins now if you got a group of educated people together which we all know that you would be in that group okay right we've talked about this many times arlington county the county that you sit in right now is the most educated county in the united states of america most educated so if we got a group of people together you would be in the group and you said to that group of educated people, I need you to name the top five most influential people of all time in history. Every single person's list, if they're an educated person, every single person's list is going to contain at least one name, and that name is going to be Jesus Christ. Now, the other names could be Karl Marx, could be Isaac Newton, could be Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, on and on, whatever. But Jesus is going to be on every educated person's list. Now, why is that fascinating? Well, there's many reasons. Let me give you just one. Jesus is the only person on that list who claims to be God, clearly claims to be God. And why is that fascinating? Here's why it's fascinating. Anybody who claims to be God, somebody walks up to you and says, you say, hey, my name's John. What's your name? And they say, my name's God. What do you do when they say that? What do you do then? You roll your eyes. You run like this person's. And anybody who claims to be God gets written off as a nutcase. They're a crackpot. Great. Matter of fact, if you made a list of the 100 most influential people, the 100 on this planet that have ever lived, you're not going to find anybody on that list who claims to be God other than one name, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, why is that fascinating? How did Jesus claiming to be God get on that list? Other people on the list will say, you know, here's how you get to God. This is what you should do to get closer to God, but none of them claim to be God except for Jesus. We need to take note of that. Jesus is the only one there who claims to be God. Now, we're told later on in this verse, John chapter 1, that light is fighting against darkness. There's this battle. He tells you right up front. We need to get comfortable with this concept. We need to get comfortable with this truth and reality. Some of us are, some of us aren't. He's not saying here in the beginning that there's evil, dark people and they're fighting. He's saying we live in an atmosphere that fights against life and light. 
So there's all kinds of confusion about Jesus Christ. Even though there's mountains of good, solid, credible, historical evidence to the existence of Jesus and the existence of his claims, many people will say, oh no, there's not enough there. Even though we'll take other stuff written historically about people and there's very little evidence, we'll say, oh, I fully believe that. And you'll come over here to this mountain of evidence about Jesus and say, I'm really confused about that. Very confused about it. Even those mountains. Why? Because there's this battle of life and light and darkness. And it's all going on and it affects us. And we have to seriously consider the evidence. If you're a lawyer, you should love the Gospel of John because it's written with a legal air to it. The words testify, witness. John is telling us he's done his due diligence. He has studied this very well, and here is the evidence, the solid historical evidence that he can provide. I want to tell you one other thing that just fascinates me before I get into this thing more about life and what we need to do. Here's what fascinates me, everybody. The Bible has one clear theme. All right, once you get past creation, so so much of the Bible is about creation. That's the major event. The second major event is the exodus, the children of Israel leaving Egypt. That theme is carried, and we're going to make, we're, we're going to show you from the Gospel of John, how that's connected to everything all over the place. Even the I am statements of Jesus Christ, for those of you who are familiar with the I am statements, are connected to the Exodus, to redemption, to redemption. The Bible is basically about one theme, and it's about redemption. It starts in Genesis and goes all the way to the end of the book, the book of Revelation. That's 40 authors, everybody, and that's 1,500 years, and they're all consistent writing one theme, Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. I want to tell you something. That is humanly impossible. This is what I mean by this. That people over a 1,500-year period of time can stay that consistent and agreed. We're told in Genesis that people died spiritually and that Jesus Christ, Genesis chapter 3, is going to come and redeem. The seed of the woman is going to come and crush Satan. And you see that happening in the Gospels. And when you get to the end of the book in Revelation, what is Jesus doing? What I'm trying to say to you is simply this. 1,500 years, over 40 different authors, all unified on one theme. Have you ever seen human beings be in that much agreement? You haven't. You'll find no historical writings, everybody, where people, human beings, we're disagreeable people. We change too much. I'm going to say two words to you, and you're going to get this. Fiscal cliff. Right? We're all in the same boat. We have no agreement how to get out of it. You tell me, you show me one writing throughout history that much time. Look, okay, let me say this. I'm not being, uh, don't take me wrong. I'm not being disrespectful to the Koran because I don't believe this thing about, oh, my religion's better than you and my, that's so goofy to me, okay? But we're not talking about a book, the Bible, where one person, one person in one generation in one lifetime wrote it. We're talking about a book that has one consistent theme that was written over 1,500 years by over 40 people. There is a vast, magnificent, incredible difference between the two. It's just a distinction that you have to think about. This is what John is trying to drive. Think. Think about the significance of life. Unless God exists, there is no purpose. There's no meaning for you to get out of bed unless you make your own purpose, and that's empty. So he says, think. There is a logos. There is a Logos, and that Logos is Jesus Christ. All right, here's the, here's the first fill in the blank. God chooses your birthday. This is just something I want us to get into our minds. It's an attitude of the heart that we have to get ourselves, and then I'm going to give you two things to do from, from John chapter 1 that are really important. 
But this first thing here is so important. We've got to grasp this. We are, we, in, particularly in the West, we are so independent and we're so about, you know, my decisions and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make it that we think, okay, I'm going to come alive because I'm going to decide one day to come alive. And it doesn't work that way. And this is what's being said here. So let's read verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 1, particularly verse 13, nice and slow. This is what it says. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right. The word right means an honor. It means a privilege. He gave the honor and the privilege to be children of God, which basically means to be birthed spiritually to come alive. All right. Watch this, though. Children. Not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. You know what he's basically saying right there? You don't get to choose your birthday, right? There's not, well, I, you know, I almost said, you know, if you got to choose your birthday, raise your hand. But somebody wouldn't be thinking, you'd raise your hand and you would be embarrassed. None of us here in this room got to choose our birthday, did we, right? We didn't somehow look throughout time and say, you mom and dad over here, okay, now I need you to come together and conceive me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear anything. But now's the time, conceive me. We didn't do that. We had absolutely no choice in the matter, did we? Our mothers and fathers, if we did, we might choose different parents, but nonetheless, if our mothers and fathers made that choice, they made the choice. And what's being said here is your physical birth and your spiritual birth are up to God. It's a very important mindset. Now, let's go through these wordings here. He says, it's not of natural descent. So he's saying you can't be born into this. You can't be born into it. I grew up in church. I've been in church all my life. It's like I was born on the pew. I mean, I spent so much time in church. And I hear other people say, I say the same thing myself. I want you to know I say the same thing myself. But it's, 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 I've got to change my mindset. I have to change my mindset on this. And I hear people say, when they talk about kind of new life in Christ and being alive and spiritually and what Jesus is doing in life, they, just, they kind of start their testimony. So I'm saying, you know what? I've been in church all my life. That's why. I'm spiritually alive. I've been in church. My, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, it's all about. And what he's saying right here is, sorry, it doesn't work that way. You can't be born into spiritual life. Because your grandmother is a great prayer warrior and hangs out at church or something like that and reads the Bible all the time, like my grandmother, doesn't mean that you're going to be spiritually alive. There's the first thing, not natural descent. Second thing, what does he say? It's not a human decision. All right, look, nobody walked in the first Sunday of the year thinking this way, but I just need to make an over-exaggeration of a point. So if you'll bear with me, okay? He says, it's not a human decision. So it's the first Sunday of the year. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution, and my New Year's resolution is I'm going to turn over a new spiritual leaf. So I'm going to show up to church on the first Sunday of the year, January the 6th, 2013, and I'm going to say, hey, God, here I am. Bam, birth me, okay? Here I am. Come on, bring it down. I'm ready. And I'm going to walk out, and I'm going to be alive spiritually. And he says, it doesn't work that way. It's not your decision. Final thing. He says, it's not a husband's will. Now, this one gets a little dicey. Okay? Let's keep it brief. Uh, a husband sees his wife. He says, baby, you're looking really good, and let's go make a baby. So he gets very emotional, very emotional, very psyched up because he sees, and let's go make a baby. Right? He says, it doesn't work that way either. So what does that mean? 
means that you don't hear this great song, like the music team does a great song or something on the radio, and you say, whoa, man, I just see Jesus when I hear that song. Or you don't hear a sermon or something, like Joel Osteen this morning on it. You saw, oh, man. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Or, or, or you don't have a great a great dream like one night where you use like angels and you were doing these things. Also, and, oh, man, I'm going to be, it doesn't have, it's not an emotional experience. Like, there's a difference between emotion and being spiritually born again. Last week, when the Redskins destroyed the Cowboys, I got very emotional. Very emotional. But I even, I knew the difference between this rush of emotion and joy that I was feeling and me being spiritually born again. And you do too. You do too. There's a difference between that. Now, since I just mentioned the uh, Redskins, let me say this. We would never think about God the same way we think about life, case in point. I get on the phone this past week, I call Coach Shanahan. For those of you who don't know who Coach Shanahan, he is the coach of the Redskins. I don't get on the phone, I call him and say, hey coach, I like what you're doing with the team. It's been two decades of misery, I like what you're doing with the team, I'm ready to sign up. Assign me my jersey and give me my locker. Now he'd never take my phone call, we all know that. But let's just play that he did take my phone call, okay? And I said, I'm ready to go. He'd say, maybe he would say something like this, did you, did you play college football? And I'd say, no. Did you play high school football? No. Did you play peewee football? Say, no. Uh, wh where do I come off? Where does my arrogance come off by thinking that I could call the coach of the Redskins and say, sign me up to your team? Where do I come off in my attitude by all of a sudden saying, I've been busy with life, I had a lot going on, I wanted to party hardy, I wanted to do lots of stuff, I want, you know, I was busy, what, whatever, I didn't want to put time into God my relationship, but you know what, today I'm going to show up, or next week, or whatever, I'm going to show up and say, hey God, I'm ready, sign me up. We would never think of Coach Shanahan like that, but we have no problem thinking about God like that. Look, all I'm trying to say is if, if we want to be, if we want to be birthed spiritually, there's an attitude of humility, attitude of humility that goes strong because it's an honor, it's a privilege, and it's really important that we approach God that way, not with an attitude of, hey, here I am, <laughs> I'm entitled to spiritual life, an attitude, oh my gosh, this is such, such an honor, such an honor to be touched by God. John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church today, you'll see it called, but the Methodist Church. He, the, the term Methodist was a tag put on them to say it was, a, it, was, it was slang. It was a disparaging remark because John Wesley in college, like every day, spent hours reading and studying the Bible and praying and serving other people and helping other people with their needs. He had a strong method, very rigid, disciplined man, strong method. He believed that if he did all this stuff, that God would... He would be entitled to being birthed and coming alive spiritually. And he realized after many, many years and serving and being a pastor for many, many years, he was totally and absolutely dead spiritually. And he began to get humble before God. And after a not, not ta talking about a week, but I mean, this went on for years of him just humbling himself before God. We're told one night he was at this place in England called Aldersgate. And that's why you'll see a lot of Methodist churches called Aldersgate United Methodist Church. There's one in Alexandria like that. He was there, and he writes in his diary, on that night, as he was there humble before God and thinking of God's mercy and God's grace, that he felt his heart strangely warmed. Have you ever felt your heart strangely warmed? 
That's when your spirit just comes alive and you live. And it's not an entitlement, it's an honor. This is just an attitude that we bring before God. It's wonderful. So there's the attitude we walk in. That's an attitude. Now here's the two things that John says that we can do. And the first one is this. We need to receive Jesus. Now, now I'm going to explain that because it might not mean exactly what you're thinking. Oh, you need to receive Jesus. You're going to live. No. You need to start strategically quitting. That's what I mean by that. Start strategically quitting. There is this book I've been reading. Maybe some of you have, have read it. It's an organizational book. So a lot of like business people will read this book. It's called The Dip. The Dip. And so what he says in here, he says, strategic quitting is actually a great strategy for life. Strate and he talks about people who are winners are quitters. They just know strategically the right stuff to quit. He talks about Jack Welch. Remember him? Remember Jack Welch? CEO, GE? So one of his famous decisions that he made when he went there, he says, all of our businesses that cannot be number one or number two in the world, cut them out. Sell them. Get rid of them. Only thing we're focused on, even though a business third or fourth in the world is making billions of dollars, listen, we're getting rid of it. And we're going to focus on one and two because we're only going to do those things that are the best. Here is what we need to know. Ryan's going to help me with this. Here's what we need to know. In order for us to say yes to something, we're going to have to say no to something. And a lot of times, the reason we won't receive Jesus is we're like, we won't let something go that is in our hands. So I got uh, young Ryan here, and he's going to help us out with this thing. You see all the stuff he has in his hands there? All right, that's all the stuff that all of us have in our hands about life, all the good stuff. The things we want to do, our jobs, our careers, our goals, our aspirations, good stuff. Some of it's bad stuff. Some of it's good stuff. Ryan's got all kinds of stuff in his pot. But he's just busy. Now, here's Jesus. Now, Ryan, he's not going to let go of the things in his hands. And I say, Ryan, here's Jesus. Are you ready to receive life? Because here comes life, Ryan. Receive Jesus. Receive, receive it, brother. Receive it. You know what I'm saying? He can't. The brother can't receive it. But because he can't let this go. In order for him to receive Jesus, he has to quit something. He has to quit something. Thank you. You did an excellent job. How about a round of applause? We even have a picture of you. It's excellent. In order to receive, look, this Christmas, something hit me so strong. I was reading the story of the birth of Jesus Christ from Luke chapter 2, and it hit me. The most amazing, phenomenal, incredible birth that has been contained in all of the Bible, right? How many verses do we have about that birth? There's two verses about the birth. And Jesus was born and wrapped in cloths and lied in it. That's it? Simple, minimal, minimal. That's how we find life. Now, what do we do as human beings? What do we, what do, we do? We say, okay, if it's good with two verses, let's add a bunch of more stuff to it. A couple years ago, I took a trip to Rome, went to the Vatican, went to St. Peter's. There is a scene in St. Peter's of the birth. It's like this cave scene of the birth of Jesus. And here, here, here it was. It's a very simple scene of Mary, Jesus, boom, right there. And then I took a step back from that. I'm looking at that scene, and I turned around, and I looked at St. Peter's. <laughs> We're talking a multi-trillion dollar facility. You don't get more elaborate than that. Is that a church or what? I mean, it is absolutely. And I thought to myself, my gosh, it started in a simple cave in 1,500 years, 15, two, two, however, 
they built it in 15, yeah, 1,500 years later, here we have St. Peter's, the, the epitome of elaborate. Are you following me? We think we're going to add more and add more and add more and add more, and we're going to live and we're going to live and we're going to live. What do you need to quit doing so you can really live? What do you need to really be strategic about? All that stuff you're doing, is it contributing to spiritual life to you? Because you're not going to really live unless you feel alive spiritually. All that stuff you're doing, what is contributing to your spiritual life? We, want, we won't get away from this until we start strategic. No. Second thing is this. Second thing we should do is this. So the first one is to receive Jesus. The second thing is this. Believe Jesus. Start strategically trusting. The word belief is used more than 100 times in the Gospel of John. The word means confidence or trust. Okay? Is it smart? Remember what we said this in the beginning. This book is driven. The first word is, in the beginning was the word, logos. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was logic. I want to ask you a question. We, we're all here from different backgrounds. Some of us, like I said in the beginning, we're all about Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Love him. Believe him. Trust. Others are like, oh, no, Jesus. Don't know if I trust him. There's a lot of controversy about him. Don't know if I can believe him. Is it all true or what? The Bible would never ask you to believe in Jesus with no knowledge about or limited knowledge about Jesus. That's not biblical belief. Would it be smart for you just to run and throw your whole life into the arms of somebody that you know very, very little about? Interesting story in John chapter 1. At the end of John chapter 1, we're talked about, it talks about belief and what real belief is. Philip is going to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he wants to get his good buddy, Nathaniel, to also be a follower. So he goes to Nathaniel and says, hey, Nathaniel, listen, I found this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He is a, he is a prophet. He, he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Come. And Nathaniel says, Jesus of Nazareth? That old heck town Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I'm like, my goodness, I can, I'm not going to go follow you. He says, look, trust me, come. So he comes. So here comes Nathaniel. He's trucking on down, and there's Jesus. And Jesus looks up, and he sees him and says, oh, look here. Here's this guy. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel, he's kind of taken back. He's like, you don't know me. Who are, who are you? And Jesus says to him, look, he says, before your buddy here, Philip, called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel rationalizes in a moment. He says, look. I think the only way he could have known I was under the fig tree is if there was some, something supernatural to it. And so here Nathaniel makes this massive statement. He says, oh my goodness, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are God. And now Jesus throws us for a loop. He looks at him and he says, Nathaniel, you have no business making that claim. He says, you believe, you believe that I'm God just because I said I saw you under a fig tree? You don't have enough information to believe that much yet. Why do we tell people that you shouldn't marry somebody that you've only known for three weeks? Why do we tell people that? Because it's not smart. Now, some of you know, oh, I know somebody that got married. They knew each other three weeks, and they're having a great marriage. Shut up. Don't tell anybody that. Okay. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. You're going you're gonna to mess a bunch of people's lives up. Those are the exceptions to the rule. We don't ever want to hear the exceptions to the rule because one of us is going to lock on to this. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen for me. And then we're just going to have all kinds of court cases and battles and broken hearts, right? So forget that. We don't want it. We don't care if it ever happened. We don't want to hear about it. The smart way, the logos way, the logical way to go is what? 
Learn a lot of information. Ask a lot of questions. Time, data, time, data, input. And you just start learning and thinking and asking. So you go out with somebody and they say, well, um, they say they have a great job. I've just never seen them work before, right? And so you, you that data, okay, that meant, so they say they have great credit history, but their car just got repossessed. Does that mean something? They say they don't have a drinking problem. They just always smell like alcohol. Should I input that information and logically should that mean something to me? What do we do with Jesus Christ? Well, we get crazy when it comes to Jesus for some reason. And we think, oh man, you should just believe right now, brother. That's not biblical belief, everybody. Biblical belief is when you trust somebody because you've got time and you've got information and you've built it up. Living is really important. Do you want to put the effort into gaining information about Jesus? Now, here's the wrap-up. This seven-week series, there are seven. Seven's a very important number in the Bible. It's the number for completion. There's seven sermons by Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John about how to really live, how to come alive spiritually. We're going to study them all. Next week is John chapter 3. If you want to gain knowledge and information and data and thinking about Jesus, read John 3 this week. Don't read it once. Don't read it twice. Read it a bunch of times and think about it and come next week and let's have a discussion about John chapter 3 and how to really live. That's the first thing you can do. Here's the second thing you do. We've got a bunch of community groups. We call them Bible studies, right? Bible study community. They're, gonna, they're all signing up when you walk outside the door. You get around with a group of people. You read John chapter 3, and you discuss it. And you get this data. Add to your belief. Put yourself through receiving Jesus, right? Through receiving, strategically quitting, and by building your confidence, you put yourself in a position to be birthed, to be breathed, have life breathed into your very Spirit's what you do. All right. Last thing. When I, when I um, played sports, every team I was on, I wasn't a football player. I was a basketball player. Coaches, they always said the same thing. Some of you had the same thing. They would say, at the end of the game, you must always put yourself in a position all throughout the game. Put yourself in a position to win. Did anybody ever have a coach say that to you? Put yourself in a position to win. Like one person, two, three, four. Put yourself in a position. All right. So for the 95% of you, who have no idea what I'm talking about, didn't play sports, didn't have a coach that said that type of thing. Let me tell you what that means. It means you do the fundamentals. You do the fundamental things that put yourself in a position to win. There's certain, like, in sports, you don't turn the ball over. There's certain fundamental things that you do to win. Here's the fundamental things you do. You strategically quit, right? And you begin to learn and get time and information about Jesus. Last thing you need to know we have 300 people praying. They've been praying, and they're going to pray all throughout this seven-week series. That every single one of us in this room, as we learn, as we receive, would have the Holy Spirit breathe life into our very beings. They're praying, and they're very serious about this. That every single one of us could experience spiritual birth and life in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for every single person in this room. I thank you, Lord, for a group of exceptional people who want to think and learn and study and we're interested in this, in this topic, this all-important topic of life. God, we desire it. And Lord, I want to ask that every single person would get what they truly need, that life of your spirit birthing in them, God, something that all of us want so badly. Lord, bless us with it. It would truly be an honor for us to come alive 
fully in you. In your holy name we ask. Amen. God bless you. We're not going to end with a closing song. We're just going to ask you, pick up a stress ball or two or three and take it home with you and work your stress out on your way home. God bless you. Thanks for being here.